I'm Melissa. I'm Jam. And I'm a chemist. And I'm not. And welcome to Chemistry for Your Life. The podcast helps you understand the chemistry of your everyday life. Mini edition. Icebreaker edition. Icebreaker edition. Okay. (laughs) I'm so excited for this. So we reached out on Instagram and Facebook and asked people to share their favorite icebreakers or would you rather questions. So here we go. Let's get right into it. Nice. And we typically do a couple questions like this when we do like a Q&R episode. Right. But with our structure this month of doing the fall minis, we wanted to make sure we still had a place for these kind of questions. That's so absolutely right. That's what this episode is. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. The first question is from, I believe it's pronounced Sadoff. Sorry if I totally butchered that. <laughs> uh, Sadoff's question is, do you like your coffee black or sweetened? I love my coffee sweetened. I use agave because it's lower glycemic index. So I've heard that doesn't make your blood sugar spike and then crash. And almond milk. That's what I do to my coffee. But really what I love are lattes. I really want a little bit of espresso and a lot of bit of milk. (laughs) And then I could take it sweetened or not in the latte form. Sometimes I go plain. Sometimes I go with a little bit of vanilla syrup or whatever. Mm -hmm. So that's me. So I think a different version of this question has been asked before. So some of you listeners might know this, but I only drink black coffee, <laughs> only black coffee, but I do change up like, like I like hot coffee, black, I like cold coffee, black, I like an iced pour over. I like cold brew. I like an iced Americano. So I kind of, I switch up the form, right, which does change the flavor quite a bit. But my whole deal about this is that I only ever go to places that sell specialty coffee. So they sell coffee that was from a single plantation, a single farm in a specific country in a specific area. And so for me, I don't want to to dilute that at all. I want to taste exactly what that kind of coffee tastes like, that specific, you know, breed, that varietal of, of coffee. So that's, that's the coffee nerd snob side. But I am... That's not everybody. So I realize that I'm not <laughs> the majority of people. <laughs> There's someone who's pretty funny on TikTok right now who said, I have a question for black coffee drinkers. Why are you so angry? I just want to put a little bit of milk and sugar in my coffee. <laughs> and yeah. I appreciate that you're not so angry about that. I, I'm not angry because there's nothing I can do about it. If first thing I could do about it, then I might be. But it is, it is completely un, I'm not able to understand it but <laughs> you know I like the experience of a warm cup of coffee but the straight black coffee made my stomach hurt because it was too acidic mm. and I feel like the milk cuts that a little yeah and I like sugar so that's it that's yeah. my best attempt at explaining it to you yeah there are people who I think they just don't like coffee so in order to drink it they have to change it but at the core, they don't really like it. And so they have to do something else. Yeah, so that's probably it. I probably yeah. don't like it. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people I have, though. Like You're definitely, that's like a, probably a majority of people. I would just as quickly take a nice hot cider or a hot chocolate if they had more caffeine in them. Yeah. For, as my warm morning beverage. Yeah. You know, so that's just me. Okay, good question. The next question is from Kristen H. She asked... Would you rather be a pocket-sized rhino <laughs> or a giant, like Clifford, their big red dog, giant 
pocket-sized hamster and why? <laughs> I think I'd rather be a pocket-sized rhino because that would be cuter. <laughs> and I feel like if you were a giant Clifford-sized hamster, it would be really inconvenient. No one would think it was cute. A lot of people would be scared of you. Yes. Yeah. I actually felt the same way. So we kind of independently thought about our answers to these questions ahead of time. So we'd have some prepared answers. So that you wouldn't just be horrified by whatever came out of our mouths. Yes. <laughs> but I felt the same way. I thought functionally though, like a pocket-sized rhino, you're right, it's cuter. But I just thought, what would be easier to like go through life as? Yeah. And I I know there's downsides to being small and pocket-sized, but I cannot imagine that they'd be as bad as being massive. Yeah, definitely not. So like a pocket-sized rhino, yes, you might have a hard time like getting in and out of places and like needing help, you know, getting out of yeah a house or whatever. You couldn't reach stuff. Also, rhinos don't have thumbs and hands and stuff like that. So that's already a downside, but you could have shelter. You could. And your stomach would be smaller to fill it up. Yes. Yes. Think about how hungry you'd be if you had a Clifford's eye stomach. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you were a rhino out, actually out in the wild, you would be much sneakier and yeah. you wouldn't be as targeted by people. I don't know. It's tough. That's a tough choice, but I think we both landed in the right but. I think so too. Okay, this next question is from Kaiba, and he asks, would you rather lose all of your current knowledge or don't learn anything new until your age doubles? Wow. Listen, this is a no-brainer for me. I would definitely rather not learn anything new until my age doubles mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because if I lose all my current knowledge, I can't do my job. I can't contribute to my family. I'd lose all my emotional intelligence. So like, how could I communicate with my husband or my friends? Yeah. Would you lose your skills? Could you walk still? I mean, I just have a lot of questions. Yeah, totally. Now, if I didn't learn anything new, I couldn't teach the podcast. <laughs> and it would probably make my teaching career, like as an organic chemistry teacher, stagnate a little. Yeah. Because I think I try to be up to date. But I could still contribute to my family in some. Yeah, that's so. interesting. What's your thoughts? I think I'd go the same route. I don't have the situation of being like in science where, you know, being really current right. on information is really important. Right. But I can't imagine having to lose all my current knowledge of stuff. I think ah. having made it all the way through school finally and, you know, graduating from college six years ago, whenever that was, feels like. I can't, I can't reset that. It took me forever. Yeah. It took me my whole life. And the fact that he said, you don't learn anything new until your age doubles. There's still a loophole for me to be able to learn eventually. Right. So I would stick with the knowledge I have. So I think that's better. Mm-hmm. Less strain on your family. You and your child would be learning <laughs> mm-hmm. together. That would be hard. Yeah. That'd be hard for your wife. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely it would be. Okay, I'm going to ask you the next few questions. Okay, cool. Would you rather be a proton or an electron from Madison M? Okay, that's hard. So on the one hand, the on a first reading, I'm like, I want to be a proton because I want to be negative. Right, yeah. I want to be positive. Definitely. That's one of my first thoughts too. But then so many of the things that you've shared about the podcast, electrons are huge. Yep. Like... They make so many things happen. Yeah. The changing hands of electrons from one you know molecule to another makes a huge difference in so many areas. I know. And to be a part of the cool, cooler in some ways, to, from my perspective, side of chemistry, seems hard to pass up. Yeah. 
So I think I'd go with Electron, but just know, guys, that I don't want to be negative. I just want to be part of stuff. You just want to be where the action is. Yes. And sometimes that means that you end up seeming a little negative. Yes, yes. In real life, I think it's possible to be where the action is and be positive. That is exactly my thought. And I thought it's funny because I think both of our spouses would probably answer this question as a proton because they're mm-hmm. positive mm-hmm. and they just get to go along and experience things around yeah. them. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> Uh, so that's funny. That is my exact same thought is electrons. They're part of the action. Yeah. And so I don't want to be negative either, but I do want to be a part of the action to some degree. Also, I remember when I was in college and I was first learning chemistry, my mom asked me, she said she had a scientist who was one of her patients. Mm-hmm. And they told her that organic chemistry was really all about the movement of electrons and really chemistry was all about electrons. And she asked me if I agreed and I didn't have a well-formed answer, but now mm-hmm. I do agree. I think chemistry is really a lot yeah. about electrons and the movement of electrons and what electrons are up to. Mm-hmm. Exchanging of electrons, electrons getting excited and then relaxing back down. Like there's so much about electrons in chemistry. So yeah, I just, that this question also made me think of that. Yeah. Thanks. Jason. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> the next one made me laugh because I first heard this question on a podcast on one of my favorite podcasts that Jam doesn't love oh, called yeah. My Favorite Murder. Yeah. And the question is, <laughs> would you rather fight a horse-sized duck or a hundred duck-sized horses? And just the idea <laughs> of a hundred duck-sized horses coming at you yeah. <laughs> always makes me laugh. So thanks, Clarissa, for, for getting us a chuckle. Yeah, it's definitely a comical one. I... Don't love either option. No. A horse-sized duck would be terrifying. Yeah. But I do think, like, in general, ducks are less threatening in my mind than a horse. Horses are so strong, so fast, so all that stuff. So I feel like you just make a duck really big, um, it's probably definitely increases its threat or whatever. Right. But I'd still rather fight that than a lot of horses. Yeah. Also... This was Mason's thought because I kind of was going back and forth. Uh Ducks are not that small. So it's not like you could step on the duck-sized horses. It's almost the equivalent of having a bunch of like miniature dachshund type dogs running at you. Yeah, totally. Only horses. Yeah, stronger and more. Just walls of muscle. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So a hundred of those would be a lot harder to fight off than just one opponent. Yeah, and their hooves are still a thing. Like yeah. dachshunds have kind of soft paws or whatever, but like, and they do have claws, but suddenly you've got a horse who can kick well and has at least, you know, a pretty tough uh, foot thing going on with the hooves. Yeah. Seems not a great. And there are a hundred. They would stampede at you. Yeah. It also might be just bring up the question of, would you rather have one, like take away the duck and the horse part, one significant enemy or a hundred small enemies. Mm, that's true. I think I would still, in that case, take one significant enemy. I think so too. Like, do you want to fight the big boss? Yeah. Or do you want to fight a bunch of small bosses at once? Yeah. Yeah. That was a reference to video games, not my actual boss. I like my boss. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> this next one is another one from Kristen H. What did a typical dinner look like for you in high school? Think people, food, location. I know I was the youngest, so I feel like by the time I was in high school, it was mostly just me and my parents. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's hard for me to remember. I feel, and I was involved in a lot of things and I was working. 
So I know my mom tried to feed us well. Yeah. But often I just ate at the restaurant I worked at, Texas Roadhouse. Mm-hmm. I would eat a side of mashed potatoes with brown gravy. We got a freeze side salad and those rolls. And I ate that for dinner many days. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I have a hard time remembering some of that stuff. Just like little fuzzy for me. Yeah. My first thought was some of the, like, what did eating out look like then? Because the at-home dinners kind of blend together in my mind. Mm, Yeah. Neither. So my mom didn't love cooking. My dad didn't have time for it. Right. Later in high school, my dad changed jobs. He actually had more time for cooking. And then he would go crazy. Like he'd be like, oh, I'm making a prime rib or I'm making a, <laughs> um, some pulled pork or I'm, he'd make like, he got kind of way into crockpot recipes and stuff. Nice. But what I first thought I when you said a typical dinner looked like for you in high school, the thing that came to mind first was a group of friends uh, who would every Wednesday night, we'd go to Whataburger. We'd call it Whataburger Wednesdays. <laughs> He and just, just for those of you listening at home, Jam just made a W with his thumbs and pointer fingers and then flipped it around to make the W the opposite direction. Yeah. Sort of like the L7 weenie sign from Sandlot, only a W. Yes, and I I didn't grow up that with that movie, so that might be why I didn't know that. But we would go to Weber every Wednesday, and it was at night, and it, it was so fun. I looked forward to it so much. Nice. We would sit... For a while, kind of as late as any of us were allowed to. Yeah. And it was a blast and I love it. That is something that I feel like the pandemic has kind of taken away from me is I used to go places like that where it didn't matter if I was taking up the table for a long time. Yeah, yeah. And play board games out. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's less of an option because most of the places we feel safe eating are outside and then the wind can come and all kinds of stuff. But yeah, I also remember... When I was y- young, like very young, we would have dinners and my mom would always ask us to say something we learned that day. Nice. And I have a very clear memory of saying I didn't learn anything today. It was all a review day in all of my classes. And she said, just because you didn't learn anything in school doesn't mean you didn't learn anything. And that blew my mind. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that was, that's a memory I have of a dinner at some point. Yeah. Interesting question, Kristen. I'll ask the next couple. Um, this question is from Shay. Can we replicate the exact chemical makeup of something by knowing the proportions? Okay, so this is an interesting question, Shay. And I, in return, I just have a lot of questions before I can answer it. But if you have the proportions only, I would say that is only possible if it's a really small molecule. Mm. As molecules get bigger, which is more of what we have going on, that is going to be much harder to do because they can be arranged in so many different ways. Like if you just have a carbon, a hydrogen and an oxygen, that could be a carbon with an oxygen and a hydrogen bonded off of it and an alcohol, or the carbon could have a double bond to the oxygen Mm. with a hydrogen in another spot, which would be an aldehyde, or it could be a ketone. Like there's just a lot of different ways you can arrange just three atoms. Got it. And so I would say no, but what we often have is we have the chemical makeup of something and we have a sample of that molecule and we can run it through so many different spectroscopy options such as NMR or IR or Raman spectroscopy, mass spectrometry. There's all kinds of things that you can do to learn about the way the molecules are arranged. 
And that I think helps us replicate something knowing the chemical makeup. But I, I will say there are problems that we do with general chemistry students where we have the empirical formula and a little bit of other information. The empirical formula is just like the basic proportions and a little bit of other information. And they can guess more about the chemical makeup of it. But I I would say at the advanced level, we need a lot more information mm. than that. And I'll, I would just say the same thing. Like I was thinking the same stuff, basically. Like, I know you want to know what I thought, Shay, too. And so just to <laughs> tell you, I was going to say all that same stuff, but you know, Melissa pretty much said it. So I'll just, I'll, I'll let, <laughs> I'll let it be. Just kidding. I didn't know any of that stuff. Jim says, I barely remember. Again, Kim, so. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Okay. This next question is from Clarissa and she asks, how did you two become acquainted? I would give the credit to that primarily to Emily, your wife. I mean, we knew each other before, but our mm -hmm. friendship became a thing because of Emily. That's true. That's very true. Yeah. And it's funny because it was a long gap. Like, yeah. Met you in 2012 and then always knew you. Like, we knew each other. Yeah. Like, it wasn't like, a, oh, have we met? It was like, we definitely knew who each we other knew were. knew each other and it was a positive association. Yes. Yes. But then not until 20, was it 15 when you moved to Denton? I moved to Denton in 2015. Yeah. And you and my wife became friends. And then we were around each other way more often. Yes. Also, you being in Denton helped that too, but because yeah. you lived near where my wife and I lived. And I didn't have a car. You didn't have a car. You would ride to and from small group with us sometimes. Yep. Things like that where we'd give you rides, places or whatever. And that, then we became friends. Yeah. Thanks, Emily, for existing. Yes, definitely. In more ways than one, but for this too. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like the, the acquainted versus actually friends are kind of different, but that's how I would answer that question is really Emily brought us together in a way that it made it possible for us to make a podcast together. Yes. And I think we did answer the, the, a more detailed version of how Melissa and I first ever met one time in a different Q and R episode, right? which was a little bit of a long story and it's definitely out there. So you can go find it if you're super interested. Yeah. But, the short story is basically through our college ministry. Yeah. Yeah. But there's way more details. Yeah, definitely. And at first, Jim didn't like me. Well, it's not that I thought, oh, we're very different. And I don't <laughs> think we're going to, I don't think we're going to be super, I don't think we're going to be buds. That's kind of But now we're thought. totally buds. Yeah. First impressions can be wrong. Yes, very true. This one made me laugh out loud when I first read it. <laughs> me too. <laughs> so Clarissa asks, for Mel, when did you know the chemistry was the one. <laughs> that is a great question. Um, I had a teacher in high school, Mrs. Mullis, mm -hmm. and she had worked in industry for a while. But, well, I guess I should go back even before I was in her class. I had Spanish next door to her class and I had a friend in her class and they would always come out with these really cool things. Mm. For example, a penny that had been hollowed out. So it was just the copper like outside of the penny and the zinc middle of the penny was just gone. Whoa. Super cool. They talked about holding fire where they would bubble some kind of natural gas through soap mm -hmm. and light those bubbles on fire. But the water acted as enough of a barrier that your, your hands wouldn't catch on fire. Wow. And just other really cool stuff like that. And so I was interested in chemistry. My sister wanted me to take 
My sister wanted me to take biology. She loves biology. Uh-huh. My brother wanted me to take physics. He His mind works more like that. And in mutiny, I went for chemistry also because I'd seen these really cool things. Nice, nice. And I think that's when I fell in love with it in that class. But, but much like real love mm-hmm. and like even in my marriage, I knew what attracted to me it initially. But over time, it's definitely been a journey where I've learned more about chemistry. I've loved it more at different times. There were times I didn't know if it was going to work out with me in chemistry <laughs> when I was just burnt out and miserable. And so I think, I think really in high school is when I loved it. Mm-hmm. And I think I probably solidified it when I was in college and did some organic chemistry research. Nice. Nice. Dang, it's cool. just so cool. It's everywhere. It's all around your life. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. That's good. That's a good answer. Okay, last question to kind of <laughs> wrap up our icebreaker question time from Brooke is, if your belly button was an actual button, what would it do when you pushed it? <laughs> okay, my first thought was some kind of bodily function. Okay. But then I thought if I could decide, you know, if it was naturally installed, I feel like that would be its deal. Yeah. But if I could decide... I would want to be able to push that button and fill up or empty my stomach at will. Okay. So right now I haven't had lunch. Yeah. I'm hungry. Yeah. I have a bunch of other stuff to do. Yep. I wish I did not have to go home. Yeah. yeah. So if I could push that button and make my stomach feel full, mm-hmm. that would be amazing. Or if I was eating something really good and I wanted more of it. Yeah. Push that button, make it feel empty. So I've thought about this as a child. When I was a kid. <laughs> I think, I can't remember if it was like a, you know, when you're a kid, your imagination's all over the place. I can't remember if I was actually like wrote a little short story about this or if I just thought about it and never used it. But I liked to think, what if our belly buttons were a self-destruct button, but that only you could press it. So somebody else couldn't self-destruct you. (laughs) So you, it was just built in that if the situation arised where I needed to self-destruct. Right then that was there and only I could push it. And it would had to be like, I hold it for like, you know, 10 or 15 seconds. I was about to ask what if it was an accident? Yeah. And so I remember I would sometimes like, then when I got a little older, like middle school, when I was around like some younger kids, like at church and like that, I would tell them that that's what your belly button does. <laughs> just, <laughs> no. to be, just to be funny. But of course, you know, usually kids are like, no, that's not what it does. Like they, they kind of know you're kidding. <laughs> that's- um, but that's not really what I would want it to be necessarily. But that was my answer because I thought it was kind of funny how you asked that, Brooke. And I actually used to have some, you had a thought. A thought about that, yeah. It's basically your own cyanide pill. That would be very useful if you were a spy. Yes, a spy. Imagine a situation where you are, yeah, between like a rock and a hard place in some way, and you can be like, "Nope, see ya," <laughs> you know. <laughs> I want it to destruct, but then you rematerialize. Yeah. That'd be nice. That'd be better. Yeah, definitely. But definitely spy movies is where I got that from. Like that idea is really where I thought of it. That's hilarious. Well, I mean, we all know that my superpower is that eating would be more of a hobby and less of a necessity. Mm -hmm. I've thought about that a lot. It's really my dream because it's so inconvenient, but it's also so delicious. So I really just wish I could do it on command. Yeah. Yeah. So... Well, that was really fun. Thank you guys so much for reaching out and sending those icebreaker questions. I love episodes like this. Yeah, me too. So before we wrap up our episode completely, I do want to say 
At the end of each of our episodes, we always talk about how you can support us, help us keep the show going and help share chemistry with even more people by supporting our Ko-Fi, sharing, all that stuff. You guys hear it every week. And Jam and I have been very cautious in approaching our finances. Our number one priority is always to make sure we have enough in our bank account to pay for the next year's hosting fees before we can really do anything else. And so we haven't had a ton of opportunities to invest in other projects as part Mm -hmm. of the podcast, really because we've been focused on that main priority. Yeah. But because of our listeners with our monthly and one-time Ko-Fi supporters and with our recent merch campaign, you all have made it possible for us to do some really exciting stuff. We have enough in our bank account to cover our hosting fees and we have enough extra that we get to do a little bit more. So after receiving many inquiries for transcriptions of the episodes, we are now subscribing to a service that will transcribe our episodes going forward, which definitely helps to share chemistry with even more people. And we're so excited to be able to do that. Before this, we simply had to use YouTube transcriptions and just send those to individual people who asked for them. This will be a so much better deal and more readable, more understandable, less errors, that kind of thing for people who are, are needing to read along to our episodes. Also, we have enough to launch our very first ever Chemistry for Your Life advertisement campaign. So that's a very tangible way that we're able to spread the word about Chemistry for Your Life and share chemistry with even more people that way. And if y'all want to help with that advertising campaign, definitely feel free to share about Chemistry for Life with your friend. I know I'm most likely to listen to a podcast with someone recommends that to me that I know rather than if I hear an ad about it. But we're really excited to be able to find new ways to reach out to people and share about the chemistry of everyday life. With all those new things going on, we should still have enough to be able to pay for next year's hosting platform fees to keep the podcast coming to you for another year. And all that was made possible by you. We have more ideas for things to improve the show. So thank you so much for supporting us and helping us take on exciting new endeavors and improving the podcast a little bit and sharing chemistry with even more people. We would not be able to do this without you. So thank you so much. And thank you, especially to those of you who have supported us on Ko-Fi this past month. And those people are Tim, Chelsea, Christina, Julian, Jacob, Stephen, Julianne, and Harry. Thank you guys so much for all that you do. It's so exciting that we get to tell you about how we're using the way that you've invested in the podcast to help even more people learn about the chemistry of everyday life. This episode of Chemistry for Your Life was created by Melissa Collini and Jan Robinson. Jan Robinson is our producer, and you can find references for all our episodes in our show notes or on our website. Mm-hmm.